I mean, teaching is different in different places, but if you have a really strong union, like you can do some pretty shitty things <laughs> and like still have a job, you know, I mean, with the exception of like actually physically harming children. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Angela, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Can't wait to dive in and chat. Absolutely. And you wanted to come on my podcast to discuss career transitioning. And one of the main problems a lot of my listeners have is being able to transition their career into something that they're passionate about. For example, let's say they've been at a current career for about 10 years and they're looking for a change. They don't have to drive anymore. So they're looking to make that career transition, but they don't know how to. The other aspect is they might be scared to make a career transition because there's always that fear of starting over from a, a lower salary perspective. I know you made unconventional career change because you were a tenured teacher before you, you made this jump that you'll share later on in our conversation. But before we dive into that, why don't we start from the beginning in regards to your career before the transition? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I'm resonating with everything you're saying. And and for the people who are listening, who are in that place of like, oh my God, I want to change. I don't know what to do. I was there. I was very much there. So I get it. So I'm happy to just share it. And, you know, hopefully you can have some takeaways about my story. So I became a teacher right out of college. I went to school for English and minored in education. And I got to be honest, like, I don't even think, like, even before that, let me back up into that. I don't even think I, I knew what I wanted to do like in high school. I think I just sort of got funneled into education because that's just what women did. You know, I went to high school in the 90s, guys. Like there was not a lot of options for people in not a lot of representation for like what was possible. So I think I just sort of got like cattle herded into a career that people were like, no, this will be good for you. This will be good for you. So I was like, ah. Okay, I guess like I don't really know what I want to do, but I guess that's it. Because what I really wanted was to like rent a van and just do van life before van life was a thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, I ended up like going to school for education and I graduated from college and I got a job in a school system and I taught for I moved around school systems. But, you know, I became a teacher right in, you know, the ripe old age of like 23 And yeah, I was a teacher for about a total combined of like 15 years. And I taught everything from like grade seven to 12. I was an English teacher and I spent the majority of my career in the Boston public schools. And out of that 15 years, I would say seven of them, I was very miserable, very miserable. And why is that? Why seven out of the 15? Why not all of them? Or why not just a few? Like, what was the difference? Is it because like the class that you're teaching? Is it because you moved to a different school? Or so what's the... No, it was never the kids. Like the kids ruled, man. The kids are what make the job like super fun. And that's why you go back every year because the kids rule. The system sucks. You know, I think I enjoyed it at first, but then it just started to like beat me down and I was so burnt out. 
I think year after year of doing it, they're just the expectations and the job description just got heavier and like more things were on my plate. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this and like try to have a semblance of a human life. You know, like I'm living at this school and I'm like giving to kids that are not mine to, you know what I'm saying? I was like, this isn't healthy. And it just felt like it was really one dimensional. And I think as I grew up, right, like, and I grew through my 20s and into my 30s, I was like, I'm different. And that's a big takeaway that I want to kind of put out there. Like when I started at 23 years old, I was very, I was such a different person 10 years later, you know, my, my wants, my needs, what made me happy, like what I was passionate about because I evolved and I changed. And I think I just sort of outgrew the teaching position as it was. And I kept trying to make it work and it wasn't. And I just became frustrated and resentful that I wasn't being fulfilled. Like I wasn't fulfilled in my career. And I became like angry and just like the worst version of me. I remember like looking around at everybody that I was teaching with and they were like loving it. Everybody loved this job. They loved it. And I was like, this, what's wrong with me? Like I started blaming myself that there must be something wrong with me because I can't make this job work, you know? So I was like, if everybody else is happy and I'm the one that's not happy, there must be something wrong with me. And I kept like, I went back to grad school. I got a master's degree in like educational leadership. I have a principal's license. I have a program director license. I can certify in ESL. Like I just kept getting like more certifications and like learning more. And I was like, yeah, that's not it. None of this was right. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was sort of why it got burnt out. Like it just wasn't the right fit anymore. Yeah, a lot of people make the excuse, oh, if I get like further education, I can up level. Maybe I don't like doing what I'm doing right now, but if I go into a leadership role, maybe I'll enjoy it. And then they get into the sunk cost for investing so much time and money doing the same thing. And then they think it's too late for them because they invested so much time and money, they don't want to make that career transition. So what's your advice in regards to like, thinking about the sunk cost, I spent so much time and money into my profession, I I don't want to give it all up and start from zero. So what? Just money. Really? Like you can't put a price on your happiness. You can't put a price on your joy. You can't put a price on your life. I mean, it's just money. And I understand like it's a huge investment to spend 50, 60, $100,000 on grad school. I'm the first to like, I tell you, I still am paying these loans off. But I think a better question to ask is like, what else could I, like even before you were even thinking about going to grad school, like what is this purpose? What is the intention behind doing this? Because I think if I had asked a better question, I don't know if I would have gone to grad school and sunk the cost into and wasted my time and done all that. But I do think there were valuable skills in doing that, like having a master's degree in leadership and curriculum design, like I use way more in my life now, you know what I mean? Just with what I'm, where I'm going in my business. But I think it's okay. It's okay that you've invested in something and have it not work out. Because if you keep trying to make it work, that's time that you're investing. That's energy that you're investing. Like both of those are currency too. And you can't get time or energy. You know what I'm saying? You can't get time back. You can get money back. You know what I mean? But you just keep trying to throw more energy at this situation that's not working is also like, oh, that can be depleting too. That could be depleting. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like what you said, like you love the kids, but you weren't happy with the system. So for professionals that are trying to be teachers, what are some like things that you should watch out for or be cautious about for someone who's like, obviously you, you were in the American school system, right? So yeah. 
what are some of the things that they should watch out for when it comes to having a teaching career in the U.S.? I'm assuming like different states are different, but what's like the common theme? Yeah. Oh God, I'm going to sound like a cynical person (laughs) if I say this. I think the things to watch out for are like getting off of your center because it's such a broken system and so much of the system, the functioning of it is put on the backs of individuals and especially teachers. And because the schools are underfunded, teachers have to go into their own pockets because the school is underfunded. They don't have enough resources or therapists or special like teachers, specialized teachers. So that falls on you as like the classroom teacher. And I would set really hard boundaries of like, what is my responsibility and what is not my responsibility? Because I ended up taking on the responsibility of like multiple people. I said yes to things that I didn't have the energy for because I felt badly. So I think having a strong sense of self, of what you will and what you won't do, make sure that your cup is filled up all the time. Your life mask has to come on first because I think the more that you give, the system will know that they can turn to you and count on you and ask you and and almost like use you. And that's really what led like can lead to burnout is you literally have nothing left for yourself. And I would also like, before even getting into a school system, I would look at like what your value set is around how you want to teach, what kind of teacher you want to be, what types of curriculum you want to teach, you know, because I was kind of like a black sheep teacher, like shut the door, guys. We're talking about real life. We're going to go rogue on the curriculum and talk more about current events. And I would get in trouble a lot. But I think if I were at a different school and maybe taught like in a school that was more, I think, progressive. I could probably be in that pocket and feel a little bit more like I was contributing in a way that felt honest to me. But being in a rigid, very traditional, almost antiquated and outdated system didn't work for me. So I think looking at your value set of what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? And does that fit with what the school system that you are applying to is asking you to do? You make a good point about like, trying to establish boundaries because this also happens in the corporate world where yeah. let's say you have a manager, you're let's say a team of four, you're always the one that's trying to help out, like give a lot to the manager. The other ones are either like slacking off or doing the bare minimum to not get fired. So what tends to happen is the manager tends to rely on you the most, giving you all the work because they just don't want to bother with the others because they mm-hmm. know that there's be a lot of pushback. And then you end up getting burnt out because you can't deliver because there's so much work on your plate now compared to the others. Yeah. Uh, so what's your thought process and advice in terms of like establishing boundaries where you still maintain a good relationship with your manager without having your reputation get significantly destroyed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you don't nip that from the beginning, you are going to become the resentful person in the office. And like then you're going to have an HR file like, you know, <laughs> 10 inches thick. So... When you are being asked to do something, I think it's okay to get curious and ask questions, like setting those boundaries of like, that's okay. Thank you so much for asking me to do that. Can you tell me what my role specifically will be? How will this impact the team? What are the other roles of other people? Like there are so many things that questions that you could ask so that you can manage the expectations accordingly. And then you can sort of suss out what you will and what you won't do and what feels good and what doesn't feel good for you. So I think always asking for more information. Like if someone said, hey, Max, can you take on this project? Before you immediately like rush to say yes, you'd be like, I am such a team player and I love participating. Could you tell me more about this project? What's the time commitment? What's the compensation? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, so there's a couple of things that you could ask just so you can get information so that you can make the best decision for yourself. And no one's going to get mad at you for communicating. Not one person is ever going to get mad at you for communicating. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of the younger generation, they try to avoid conflict. So they rather just say yes or don't really want to yeah. like communicate their like concerns. What's your advice in terms of being more assertive in that regard? Ooh, that's a tough question. So how do people become more assertive? I think asserting yourself starts with knowing what it is that you will and won't do, what you want and what you don't want. So it is, I know that seems really harsh and like really rigid and black and white, but if you are not willing to stay past 530 on Tuesday because you want to go to your cycling class, stand in that. Sorry. If the day ends at five, you're out of there. I don't stay late. Sorry, I don't do that. So I think there are things that you can set that really align with your priorities first, because it's hard to assert yourself and say no when you don't have hard lines between what your no's are and what your yeses are. So if you can establish like what you are willing to do, where you are willing to compromise and where your non-negotiables lie, that's it. Like for me, when I transition my career and now I work in like wellness and I take clients, I do not take clients before 10 a.m. That is a boundary. That is a hard boundary. Why? First of all, I don't need to explain anything to anybody, but I don't because I have a very strict morning routine that helps me ground into myself. So when people are like, oh, can I get an eight o'clock meeting with you? I'm like, nope, then maybe I'm not the coach for you. And I don't mind leaving money on the table because I don't compromise my boundaries like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so- I know what you're saying. 100%. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And that's a great thing about like, being a business owner, right? Because like, you can set your boundaries. When you work a nine to five job or a teacher, you can't establish those boundaries sometimes. Yeah. And I, and I think when you are in a more, like, obviously I have freedom and flexibility, but that's something that I wanted for myself, which is why I left certain situations that didn't give me freedom and flexibility. That was a very important value set for me. But when you're in a position where it is a little bit more rigid, I think always getting information up front of what does that look like? What does that sound like? What's involved? What kind of support? That's a good one. Write that down, guys. What kind of support will it be for me to take this on? Because I think sometimes people just throw you to the fire and then you're drowning and stumbling and like burning because nobody's helping you. So I think you can be like, hey, what supports are there for me? And what does that look like? How many check-ins? What am I going to be responsible for? You know that I think the more questions that you ask them to jump, managing your expectations will be the best thing you can do for yourself. To talk about like your career transition now, you said you've done teaching for 15 years and you were unhappy for seven. I'm assuming a, a good portion of that seven was your last few years in teaching. Can you describe to us like what was the turning point of you this finally deciding that you had enough of teaching and want to do something else? Uh, yeah, I had a very unfortunate and like life altering event happen suddenly in my life when my father passed away. And he passed away suddenly from an aneurysm. And I just remember like, you know, God, going through the, you know, the hospital and, and life support and making these decisions, it all happened so fast. And it really divided my life in two, like a before and after. And one of the most immediate takeaways that I got was like, holy shit, <laughs> life is precious, you know? that we only get one of these things. And at any given moment, it can just be taken from you. And I, I made a promise to myself and I made a promise to my dad that I would never spend another second of my life being miserable. 
Because if I couldn't be joyful, then what was I doing? Because if I only have one of these lives, like why am I not living it the best that I possibly can? Why my dad doesn't get to. So it's like, I want to for me and I want to for him. So it was like a wake up call. And going through grief was madness. It was crazy. It was schizophrenic. It was painful. It was love. It was devastating. It was everything. And I realized like I couldn't come back to work and do that job. Like I just didn't have the capacity anymore. I didn't have the space to put up with what I was putting up with. I didn't have the space emotionally to be able to show up and like give to anybody else anymore because I needed to take care of myself. So that I I think was the moment where I like started to like really be like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm done. And I remember coming back from my bereavement leave and sitting in my classroom and I could literally feel the walls like closing in on me. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not happy. This is not it. You know, this is not it. And yeah. So did you quit right away after your bereavement leave or like what was the plan to make that exit? No, I kind of knew because in the background I was, you know, building a business. I didn't know that's really what I was doing at the time. It was like a side hustle. And I was teaching, I started it in grad school for my grad thesis and I started running fitness classes for the teachers. And then when I was done with grad school, I was like, all right, guys, thanks for participating in my thesis work. Thanks so much. And they're like, well, wait a second. We like working out. And I'm like, huh, will you guys pay me? And they said, yes. So I started running this like back end, like illegal fitness class in my classroom with the teachers. So I had this thing kind of going on and I was like, I wonder if I could like turn this into a business. I wonder if more teachers at more schools will pay me. So when my dad died, I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run with this. I'm going to start teaching fitness classes for teachers around Boston. And I sort of made like an exit strategy because I knew that I was going to leave at the end of the school year. So my dad died in December of 2015. I came back in January of 2016. And I was like, I'm just going to ride this out until June, you know? So I kind of made like a six month plan of how I was going to leave so that I wasn't just like, see you later, losers. And like <laughs> just like rage quitting. What is that term now? Quiet quitting? Yeah, quiet quitting. Yeah, quiet quitting. Yeah. I quiet quit <laughs> for like six months. Yeah. And that was sort of how I transitioned. I got like my fitness certifications. I started, you know, creating like pitch decks and promoting myself at other schools. I started getting other contracts at like private schools around Boston. And I was like, wow, I really can do this. Again, I think when you survive grief and you're going through something that is extremely painful and like gutting, it made me realize like how brave I was. Like, yo, it's brave to get up and do this to go to work, to build something while you've lost something so important in your life, you know? So I was like, look, if grief didn't break me, th- quitting my job ain't going to break me. I left my six-figure job. I left, I could have a job until the day I die. Like teaching, you're like locked in with your union until f- I could have had a job making six figures until forever. And I said, no, I left it because it didn't feel right and I was done. And I chose to bet on myself and I chose to run with something that my heart was calling me to do. 
In terms of the salary, the compensation you mentioned in terms of like teaching, in Canada, a similar concept, right? People want to be teachers because you're unionized. You basically have a job for life unless you do something really stupid. And like you basically threw that security away because you had a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a, a lot of people go into roles for that security. And teaching is one of those professions where you have good yeah. job security. So how does one battle between that is like, I've spent so much time, again, it goes back to the time thing, right? I spent so much time and money invested into like getting this secure lifestyle and I'm going to throw away for something that's very risky. What's your thoughts on that? Because what does security even mean? Really? Like nothing is promised and nothing is guaranteed. Do you know? And I understand like, yes, teaching theoretically, like you could have a job unless you do something dumb. You could stay there until you're 85 years old. Like it doesn't matter. But for me, and I invite anyone listening to tap into this too, I had to really get clear on what was important to me. And that moment in my life, what was important was growing, creating, being my own boss, having freedom. I wanted to get up every morning and not be stressed out and crying on the way to work. You know, those things mattered more to me than stability because I was 20 something like 28, 29 years old. And I started making six figures And like, look, you're like, you're a teacher. You make six figures. Yes. Boston is one of the most expensive cities in the country. So it is relative to the cost of living. So like, it's still not enough to live there, but yeah, I was like a mess emotionally when I was 29, 30, 31, 32, my dad passed away when I was 34 and I was a hot mess emotionally. Like I, I didn't have control over my emotions. I was struggling with my mental health and I was making a lot of money. So my theory was, all right, now that I've taken this journey and I've done a lot of emotional healing and I'm deep in therapy, I'm deep in my healing work, I could do it again. If I made six figures once, I can do this again because I'm wiser, because I'm smarter, because I have more experience, more skills. Like I'm not going to fail. If I did it when I was like an idiot, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like I could do this again. So I wasn't worried because in that moment, I wasn't valuing stability because I think one of the things we hear, and I heard it from the teachers that I was working with was like, well, Angela, you're going to quit, but you get a pension. And I was like, in 30 years, like I got to work another lifetime. I don't want to, like, I don't. Like worrying about stability 30 years from now, knowing that just like that, snap, life can be over. That to me wasn't something that I was willing to risk. That seemed more risky to me than betting on myself. And I just didn't, I didn't value stability in that way for the, like worrying and planning my life, wasting my life for 30 years from now. That seemed silly to me. Also the issue with the pension, right? Is like 30 years from now, like... Obviously, you've seen in the past couple of years the rise in like inflation, right? So Absolutely. by the time you're done, that pension might not that might give you like bare minimal living, but then you're stuck, right? Because you're too old to work at that point. So yeah. there's a lot of like factors that you might not realize that you can't prepare for, even with that good pension, because like that might not be that good pension in 30 years, because a lot can change. It's cost of living, inflation, and all that stuff. Yeah, as so well. take so take your money out and invest it. I took out every dime. I was like, not, I don't care. Not one cent is going to the boss. Like I want Boston public schools. Like I want every cent of that. And I invested it in my IRA. That was it. That's what I was like. I'm going to control this. And to me, that was like a better, again, 
that's just what fit me at the time and still does. Like I want to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of my time, of my money, of my energy, of my resources. I don't want anybody to tell me how to spend any of that. Going back to the, the quitting uh, your teaching career, you came back from bereavement leave in January and your exit plan was to leave by June, which makes sense because school ends in June. <laughs> so how did that work? Did you like let them know in June or you let them know in January saying this is my last term, last semester, and then we're going to do something else? Like, How did that come about? And what was the reaction with like the principal, your colleagues, all uh, everybody yeah. that's involved in the your teaching career? <laughs> So I don't advise doing this, but I was just like, I had it. I was like over my head, had it with like, it was a real toxic environment, multiple like rotating administrators. And and it was just, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was going on that was really toxic. So I didn't tell anybody. I actually came back to school in September so I could get my new round of sick time. I walked into the principal's office. and I was like, let me tell you how this is going to go. I was like, you could work with me or you could work against me. I'm going to use every single one of my sick days. So you're not, because I didn't want to be paid out at a percentage. I was like, no, we're not doing that. I'm going to use every single one of my sick days. And if you don't let me use every single one of my sick days consecutively, I think our union contract was I could come in every four days. And after five days, you would need a doctor's note. So I was like, I will take four days off and one day on. And I will do that until I use every single one of my sick days. So I was like, choice is yours. I was like, you can get a teacher in here from the beginning and you just let me coast out or <laughs> you, we can make this hard and we could drag this out. And he was like, cool. So I stayed until technically I stepped one foot into the building on the first day and then I stayed, I ran out my sick days until November. So I got paid with my sick time. Do I recommend doing that? No. <laughs> It was creative. That's only for the gangster ones, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that was mine. And I felt like I earned it. And I was like, you're not going to take this away from me. And I had every, read your, con- if you're a teacher or anything, like read your contract. That's what I did. And I was like, so there's no penalty if I go in one day and take four days off? No, there isn't. So that's what I was going to do. <laughs> like we get, you know what I mean? So I wasn't wrong. It was like kind of a dick move, but that's just what it was. But how does that work for your like your last two months as teaching, right? So like you basically show up class one day of the week, the other teacher does the four, right? So like Oh, I didn't I went in once and I just like collected I was sick. I was on sick leave. You were sick leave for four days, but you have to show up for one, right? Per week. Right? Is that how that worked? <laughs> no, that was if the headmaster or the principal at the time wasn't going to allow me to take my consecutive days. Oh, okay. Because otherwise, I would need doctor's notes. And he was just like, take it off. I'm not going to report you. I said, great. Thanks. Oh, yeah. So basically, you did the sick leave from September to November, never showing up for school. And they paid you out. And he didn't make a fuss. So right. yeah, you basically got paid to stay home pretty much. <laughs> is that legal? Should I like edit that out? I don't know. I don't know. But it is what it is. Like it. That's what worked for me. And the other part of your question that said, how do people respond? I will tell you this. I worked in that building for 10 years nobody cared. Nobody cared. I went in on the last day, like in November to grab some of my stuff. And like, nobody cared. I was like, Hey guys, this is my last day. Like, I'd love to say goodbye. There was not one teacher who came by, not a cake, not a card, nothing. It was just like business as usual. And it really like dawned on me that I was disposable, you know, 
Because I think we got so, I did, I get so attached to that job. Like the job was wrapped up in my identity. I am a teacher, right? Even the semantics of our sentence, I am a accountant, policeman, doctor, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever it is, we add that identity, that identifier as part of who we are. And I think it took me a long time to be like, well, I am a teacher, but I was so replaceable that I struggled with that, that I was like, wow, no one really cared if I left or if I was there or not. And I was like, look at all the effort that I put into this. And this is where boundaries are going to be important. All the effort that I put into this job, nobody cared. I don't know if I was like expecting like a parade or something, but it was literally like a fart in the wind. Like nobody cared. Nobody cared. So when it comes to quitting your teaching career, you were on bereavement leave and you came back in January and your intention was to quit teaching by June, which makes sense because again, a lot of public education, their school term ends in June. So how did that come about in terms of like planning your exit in June to help you go full-time on your uh, current business? Yeah, I definitely want to say that it wasn't something like I just like ripped the bandaid off and and jumped. In some sense, I did jump without a parachute, but I broke down my year because I came back from bereavement leave right in the beginning of January. So I sort of broke down the year into like quarters. And I was like, all right, what do I need to do this quarter to be able to get where I need to go? Because I was like, if I need to make X amount of money a month, I just worked backwards. So what do I need to do now to make X amount of dollars a month, you know? And yeah, I just started like planning out and looking at like, who did I need to contact? What did I need to do? How did I need to position myself? I was so grateful because I had it on my desk and I looked at it every day. I was like, okay, this is the goal. This is the plan. So it wasn't an arbitrary thing. I actually had a strategy in terms of working backwards from the end result and planning out what I needed to do in each quarter so that I could leave because I wanted the money. I wanted to be able to be paid. I wanted my health insurance. I wanted to you know, kind of take all the benefits that I earned. So that was kind of how I made the plan. And how did the principal of the school and your colleagues react to you uh, wanting to leave? Honestly, I, I think they were so busy to care. You know, I was unhappy anyways. And I remember sitting down with the principal and he was like, Angelie's like, you're not happy. He's like, you have to jump with or without a parachute. And I was like, huh, okay. So I think everybody knew that the end was coming, you know, and I kind of wanted to use a little bit more of my sick time. And they were pretty respectful of like all the money and stuff that I had wrapped up. You know, it's like if you have vacation time, if you're like, hey, I want to take my two weeks vacation and then quit. I had the opportunity to ride out some of my sick time before I actually quit. But yeah, I don't think anybody was like upset. And I think that's sort of the problem with schools in general. Or if you're in a work environment where you don't feel like you're part of something, you feel definitely like a cog in the machine where you're replaceable. And that's kind of how I felt. I even remember like going in on my last day and there was no, not like I wanted a parade or anything, but there was no like card, like, thank you for a decade of service, like great, good luck, like nothing, there was absolutely nothing, like absolutely nothing. So I think that the writing was on the wall anyways, for me, for the staff, for the administration. So it was all good. Speaking of being replaceable, a hmm. lot of professionals feel guilty of quitting their jobs because they're letting their manager or letting their colleagues down. What's your thoughts on that? This is a job. Whatever you're doing is a job. You know, because I think when we put so much of ourselves like into this role, 
you're not letting anybody down. I think a good way to look at this is to switch your mindset because you saying no to this position and you saying, no, I don't want to do this is actually saying yes to yourself. And I think that's a bigger, braver action to take than feeling sucked in and living out a career that you don't enjoy because of everybody else. I think at the end of the day, anybody who cares about you is always going to want you to choose what's best for you. And, you know, if you enjoy your job, but you know that it's time to leave, or maybe you got the better offer, I think there's a way to do it so that you are like transitioning rather than just like, here's my two weeks, deuces, I'm out. You know what I mean? But I think a good way to look at it is like saying no to something else is saying yes to you. And that's always a win. That's always a win. Speaking of how you crafted your exit plan in quarters, what if there was some obstacles that's like, let's say you had an intention to accomplish this in this quarter and it didn't happen. Would you have thought about delaying your exit or what made you decide to just keep pushing regardless if you weren't going to hit that quarterly goal that you set yourself with? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think fortunately for teaching, there are very hard starts and ends. You know what I mean? So I had to, whether I had it ready or not. And I think that's the point. It's not going to be perfect. You're never going to be, quote, ready. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And you have to be ready to keep moving in that direction. Because if you don't set an end date and hold yourself accountable to that, then you will be there another three months, six months, a year. And I think that's a good question to ask. Like, if I don't leave now, what's the next three months going to look like? Am I going to learn a new skill? Am I going to add something to my CV? Am I going to meet a new network of people? If none of those things are happening, then it doesn't matter if you stay an extra three months or six months. Just go. Just go. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, how did you juggle all that? Like, did you get burnout? Because you were balancing your full-time teaching along with your side hustle at the time. So how did you avoid burnout? And what's some advice that you could share throughout that journey when you're juggling both balls? Mm-hmm. Again, I know that you're eventually going to get rid of the teaching ball. But during that time when you were in that transition, you basically were working like night and day, right? So totally. how, <laughs> yeah, so how did you balance that to keep your mind right? I think burnout for me and maybe what I'm saying could resonate for people watching, maybe it, or listening, it, it'll resonate with you. I think my burnout happened far before I decided to leave. I was already toasted. I was already burnt and crispy before my dad died. I didn't even realize that's what was happening. Now, mind you, this is almost eight years ago, right? Like these conversations around like burnout, overwhelm, mental health, like weren't as prevalent and accessible, you know, as they are now. So I didn't even realize that I was burnt out. I thought I was just like angry, miserable, depressed. I didn't realize that all of those other things, like the anger, the shutdown, the like reactivity were all symptoms of the fact that I was unhappy, of the fact that I was burnt out. So I think by the time I actually made the decision to leave, I was literally checked out. I was checked out. And I would just be at my job, quiet quitting, just like phoning it in. You know, so it's not like my job during the day was exhausted or exhausting or I was exhausted. And then I think what I was doing at night was actually fueling me. It's not like I was giving 100% of my energy to my teaching job during the day and then 100% of my energy to my business at night. I was given like 10% and then 90%. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I think I was already checked out before I actually quit. I was burnt out, had already come and gone. <laughs> and the thing about teaching is like, I think as you said before unless you do something really stupid they can't really fire you right 
I mean, teaching is different in different places, but if you have a really strong union, like you can do some pretty shitty things <laughs> and like still have a job, you know, I mean, with the exception of like actually physically harming children, you know, but you could not be a great teacher and still have a job, you know, like, I have some bad of, teachers in my time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like throw anybody under the bus here, but like, remember the teacher you had who just like sat at the desk and was like silenced the whole class and was like page 128 questions run through 10. And you're like, what the, you get paid for this? Yes. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. And like, oftentimes there's not anything that we can do about it. You know what I mean? It takes a, the due process for teacher evaluations, the due process for teachers, you know, being poorly evaluated and not meeting expectations is very arduous and very long, especially for a longstanding tenured teacher. So, yeah. So how has business been going with your current business right now? Oh my God, it's been crazy. It's had many evolutions, I think, because when I quit, I still was in the realm of teaching. Like I was running fitness programs at schools for teachers because that was, I think, the next logical step for me because that's the world that I knew the most. And then I realized, now mind you, I've said this before, I had no business experience like at all. Never went to business school, never took a business class. I knew nothing about anything except how to do what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? I was like the technician of everything. So I just remember getting like all of these contracts and I was like, Oh my God, this is freaking amazing. This is awesome. Like, look at people want me, you know? And I was making money. I was doing really well, but I was only one of me and I could only be in schools get out at the same time. Like between this time and I was one person, I couldn't be everywhere. So I didn't know how to scale. I didn't know how to hire. And I also felt like I was pigeonholing myself working with just teachers So that was sort of like the first roadblock and iteration of like, huh, it's not really the people that I'm working with. I'm not running a fitness class for teachers. I am running a fitness class that allows people to release negative energy and connect with themselves. So that is when I had like the first aha moment of rebranding and really honing in on what I was doing. And I hired like marketing consultants. I added it, hired like a branding coach and rebuilt my entire business and started with this class and this concept that was called sweat remix. I still do it. And it was a mix of mindfulness and fitness and meditation. So it was a very mind, body, soul connected class. And I started taking over Boston. I was blowing up in Boston. I was renting out spaces in gyms. I was selling out like hundred person classes. It was amazing. And in my first year, I did awesome. And I was ready to clear like six figures going into 2020 in my first year of business, then pandemic happened. (laughs) Remember that? So then like the second iteration was to move everything online. So that was a great upswing initially for like the first six, eight months of COVID. And then things started to taper off. But as I was locked in my 700 square foot apartment that I shared with another human being, I was like, I need mental health. I need to talk about what's happening. I'm like having realizations and revelations about how I'm living my life. So then I added in, and other people were too, like we were a community of people, not just working out, but looking for advice and looking for connection. So I created more of like a life coaching component to it. So now I was taking on, I got my certification during COVID to be a life coach and a life purpose coach. And so now I started taking like one-on-one clients and I'm doing coaching and I'm doing fitness. 
And then in the past year, I was like, what is it that I'm doing now? So Sweat Remix as a fitness brand couldn't hold one-on-one coaching. It couldn't hold group courses. It couldn't hold this like spiritual, more evolved conversation. It wasn't just like abs and squats. You know what I'm saying? So I rebranded again. And the platform that I now run is called the Empowered Millennials, which is a community for millennials to get resources to take action in their life, to quit the job, to like, you know, ask for more, whatever it is that you're seeking and you're at a crossroads to make a big decision about, it's all of the resources you need. And that includes fitness. It includes group coaching and it includes one-on-one coaching with me. So I think to answer your question, that was a long-winded answer, but to answer your question, the brand has grown from a very small niche market of teachers to a fitness brand, to an entire community of resources to help you feel connected to yourself so you can take big, bold, brave action and live a life that you love. So the business has evolved, I think, as I've evolved within myself and also gotten better at business in general. So you started off this answer saying that you had no formal business education and you were able to iterate your business a couple of times, one by choice, one not by choice with COVID, right? So my podcast is about like helping professionals overcome challenges and help them make successful career transitions. So what's the main takeaway that you want my listeners to take away in terms of like actioning different steps to get one step closer to making their career transition a reality? Yeah, I love that. That's a big question. And I think if you're having conversations of like, I don't know what to do, I want you to pause. Just pause. Because I think you do. I'm going to call everybody out right now. I think you very well know what you want. I think what's happening is there's a rub between what your heart and your soul and your intuition is telling you to do and the expectations that you feel maybe from family, from you know society, generation, whatever it is. So I think when you pause and you take a moment to really write down, write it down, put the pen to paper, don't type it, write it so that you're making this kinesthetic connection and seeing these words come out of you is a truth that you are now speaking into the world because you have to decide, what do I want? I don't care if it's crazy. I don't care if you're like, I want to be on a yacht with Oprah. Amazing. Write it down. You have to be able to decide what these things are so that you can take action because if you're vacillating between, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, then there's no action that can happen in the, I don't know. Action comes when you become like decided and resolute on what it is that you want and what it is that you want can evolve and change. But I think once you have a decision that you've made, I'm going to go do this, then you can start making the plan. Then you can start taking the action. But without the decision, you're just like, flailing around in the ocean waiting for something. You know what I mean? So decide. I think the biggest thing that I can tell you is make a decision around what you want and get really clear on the goals that you want in the future, in the immediate, whatever it is, but just decide it. Great. And (laughs) I want to end our conversation with a personal question for you. So Mm -hmm. as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges to get them to the next level. So for you throughout your journey, teaching, pivoting to your own business, what was one big career challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Okay. I think the biggest thing was trusting myself. 
because at the end of the day, this is my vision. And this, what I create comes from my vision, my heart, my life experience. And sometimes I have been led astray because I have put down my vision and absorbed and adopted what someone else wanted me to do. And I've made, I I spent a lot of money on some coaches and business partnerships that didn't work out because I didn't trust myself. So no one knows what's best for you more than you. No one knows what your heart is calling you to do better than you. No one knows that instinct feeling, those spidey senses that are going off in your body to say, that's not right, or that is a hell yes. You know, so I think the biggest thing that I've had to learn in business and with just myself is, you know, into my 40s, I'm like, wow, I know what I want, stand in it, be resolute with it and trust that I know what's best. And I don't need to seek counsel with people who haven't earned the right to be in my space to give advice, you know? So yeah, please just trust yourself because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to pull you in multiple directions and lead you down a path that might not be aligned for you. So if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not the right choice. Yeah. And you say you're 40, right? Like in your 40s? 42. Um, 42. 42. 42. 27, right? That's what I wanted to bring up, right? Because like, <laughs> there's always going to be stress regardless of what you do, right? But if you like what you're doing, then you tend to be more happier. And obviously, like I've seen people that look like they're in, like, let's say late 20s, but they look like they're mid 30s or 40s because they're yeah. so stressed out all the time and like they get gray hairs and wrinkles. So again, like it also goes back to like, if you're happy with what you do, you tend to live a happier life and increase your longevity compared to someone who's always stressed out. And yeah. again, like a common thing is like heart attacks, right? The, like, I think uh, Japan's a, a popular one where people get so overworked that they end yep. up like collapsing at work because totally. it's just too much. Totally. I 100% like you. And, and if we're talking about like the biological, I don't want to go too much into this. But if you're in a chronic state of stress, you are in a chronic state of fight or flight and your body is responding to danger all the time. Like you are now, when you're stressed, you're telling your body, we're not safe. We're in danger. Oh my God, we need to protect ourselves. So what it's doing is spiking your cortisol levels. It's spiking your adrenaline levels, which are in turn ruining your dopamine, ruining your serotonin, ruining your stomach acid so that you can't digest food. Do you know what I'm saying? So like your whole body isn't designed to be in a chronic long-term state of fight or flight. So if you're always stressed, you're having all of these health problems, like it's going to catch up to you. So you have to be able to like pull yourself out of that chronic stress. And it's not just temporarily go to yoga class. Like if, if your job is constantly stressing you out, like there ain't no yoga class that's going to take you out of that. You know what I mean? And I will say to your point too, when I left teaching, I think I ran into somebody like a year after I left, like somebody I worked with. And she was like, Angela, you look so much younger. And I was like, because I'm happy, because I'm not in this chronic state of stress all the time. You know what I mean? I actually enjoy what I do. I took a major pay cut and I'm still living the life that I love because I don't need the money to pay for things to distract me from how much I hate my life. You know? That's a great way to put it. Like people want to make more because then they can spend more to basically distract themselves from the real problem. No, I don't need to distract myself from my life because I love my life. I don't need to get hair done and nails done. I don't need lavish vacations. I don't need to go out on the weekends. Like I'm cool being in my life because I love it. Cause there's nothing that I need to like run from, you know? Yeah. And again, like, yes, you might be making a lot of money, but you're always stressed out. So basically you're taking a lot of that money into healthcare. So in a way yeah. you're not really ahead yeah. long term. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up too. So please take care of your health, everybody. Please take care of your health. 
Again, Angela, I really appreciate the time you've taken today yeah. to discuss your career transition from teaching to your own like fitness coaching practice. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Amazing. Yeah. Come find me on Instagram and TikTok. I'm most active there. I give a lot of content, a lot of steps and tips and a lot of what I consider to be comedy too. And you can find me on both of those at The Empowered Millennials and all the links and stuff that I'm offering because it changes all the time will always be in my bio. So you can click those and click that there. But The Empowered Millennials. Thanks, Angela. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Oh,